0: we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Well, we're going to have an incredible educational episode this week. We're going to learn about Sasha Shulgin, Alexander Sasha Shulgin, who is a psychedelic legend that left this world in 2014, kind of a under the radar psychedelic legend in the vein of Terrence McKenna and Timothy Leary, but yet maybe less talked about in the mainstream, you really have to dig a little bit. So we're going to learn more about him today. And of course, on our lecture episodes, we always have a guest. And our guest is our standard go-to guest, Bryn Anderson of Vinyl Force Herbs. How are you doing today, Bryn?
1: Great, Jake. Thanks for having me.
0: We're here again, and we're going to listen to this lecture. It's actually a few lectures. It's a lecture uh, with him in 1996, and then a couple lectures that happened just before he left this dimension, checked out of his body. So it's going to be a cool little, you know, spectrum, a broad spectrum of, of Shulgin's life. But before we do that, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com, cbd.com And there you will find blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil that is available for purchase period. And why is that? Because it is the only CBD oil that has the proprietary HIT extraction method. This is a natural extraction method that was developed by a man named Howard HIT, a.k.a. Big H, and it uses no chemicals, no solvents, no gases, nothing. It's 100% natural. None of those things are used in the extraction process of the CBD from the hemp, which goes into this oil, the Blue Cobra CBD oil. Normally, if you've been listening, you know that normally we have a Blue Cobra Midnight on Earth discount code for Blue Cobra CBD oil, but just like last week, if you were listening last week, we're still taking it a step further. Big H has seemingly gone on the road of wacky tabacky. He's taking the cannabis path. Perhaps I'm not sure what's going on really because he's giving his stuff away for free shipping included. You only have to do one thing to get a free bottle shipping included of the highest quality blue Cobra CBD oil. All you have to do is one thing, you go to bluecobracbd.com, you look for the contact section, and there you find an email, and you email Howard Hitt directly, and you give him your shipping information, a valid shipping address, where you would like it sent, and he will send you one free bottle with the test results, shipping included. All you have to do is email him. And the email is bluecobracbd at gmail.com. That's bluecobracbd at gmail.com. The at symbol, gmail.com. bluecobracbd at gmail.com. It's literally, he's giving money away. And you, you contact him, you send him your information, and he will mail this bottle out to you Last week, I did say it was worldwide. Unfortunately, I have to backpedal on that one. I didn't realize. I kind of made a mistake there. It's okay. If The international orders that came in, whatever came in during that time, still valid, but we're just going to keep it in the Continental 48 states. So the Continental 48, if you're listening to this and you want a free bottle of Blue Cobra CBD oil, all you have to do is email Howard and you get a free bottle sent to you. Do that. Get your free bottle. Go to bluecobracbd.com. Email Howard hit bluecobracbd at gmail.com and get your free bottle, people. Try this incredible 100% organic product using 100% Oregon grown organic hemp Everything about it is organic. Everything about it is amazing. I use it daily, topically, internally. You can give it to pets. I mean, it has so many uses. It's the highest quality CBD oil that I've ever been exposed to. And I've been in the cannabis industry in that world before I was a podcast. Well, not before I was a podcaster. Before I was a podcaster for this podcast, I tried to broker... CBD isolate and distillate when that was a hot thing to do and for a minute. Especially here in cannabis land, the Northwest of America. So when you're done with that and you get your free bottle of Blue Cobra, which is so generous of Howard. Can't believe he's doing that. You can also follow us on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That's the address. You can go there Click the button that connects us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible. There's so many now. Wherever you go, that's your personal favorite that you like. There should be a button that connects us, a follow button, a like button, whatever it is, click that button so we're connected. So you know when that next episode premieres and you know whatever we're doing. Do that for me. And of course, please tell a friend, someone you know that loves these type of podcasts and wants to hear about some deep psychedelic history of Sasha Shulgin, of course, his wonderful. wife, fan? Midnightonearth.com. Okay, so I told you about Blue Cobra. The social media shout out is out of the way. And now we're going to dive into these rare lectures. Bryn. Are you ready for this?
1: (laughs) I'm ready for this. Do you know
0: who Sasha Shulgin is? Are you familiar with him at all?
1: Yes, I am. But I'm excited to learn more because I I don't have a lot of detail. Like you said, he's a little bit more of a rare figure. Um, So, yeah, I'm curious to learn more about him.
0: Yeah, P. Call, T. Call, he wrote those books, Mm -hmm. which he... Outlined a lot of certain analogs of various psychedelic compounds that were yet to be illegal. So, uh,
1: yeah, he's definitely done a lot of work in that. Yeah, area a lot of work. Sure. Well, how
0: about we read his bio? Okay. And here Sounds we go. Fun. Dr. Alexander Sasha Theodore Shulgin, or Shura, his friends call him, was an American chemist, pharmacologist, psychopharmacologist, and author. Over the span of 50 years, he created more new psychedelic drugs than any other person to date. Nearly 250 by his own accounts. Wow!
1: (laughs) I've already learned something.
0: Shulgin also rediscovered the drug MDMA and established its use as a tool in clinical psychedelic therapy for a short time. Interesting. So that was probably before things started taking off again, like now. He has written two books detailing his endeavors, PCOL and t and also contributed numerous highly appraised chemical assays and studies throughout the years. Shulgin is best known for synthesizing the psychoactive drugs 2CT7- 2CB, oh, I know that one, 2CE, 2CI, I know that one, DOM, and hundreds of others. Due in part to Shulgin's extensive work in the field of psychedelic research and the rational drug design of psychedelic drugs, he has since been dubbed the godfather of psychedelics. Interesting. Prior to his 2010 health issues, Shulgin had been working on a series of N-allyated tryptamines, including 5-M-E-O-D-A-L-T and 5-M-E-O-M-A-L-T, like malt, (laughs) so different kind of malt. On April 7th, 2014, Ann Shulgin, his wife, reported on Facebook that her husband had developed liver cancer. And in a May 31st update on Facebook, she said that although appearing frail, he seemed to be experiencing his last moments in peace and without pain. On June 2nd, 2014, Shulgin died at home in bed, surrounded by family, 15 days before his 89th birthday. Wow. Well, in this 21st century day and age in 2021, we would say that was a long life, eighty nine. In the future, they may say, oh man, he was only at his halfway point. We don't know yet. But yeah, that's his bio. Wow, incredible history. Have you tried any of those substances, Bryn, that he listed, the 2CB, 2CI? I've not. I've tried two of those on the list. I've tried 2CB and 2CI, and they're both really interesting. Not very hallucinogenic, but just very serotonin boosting and just puts you in that dimension, but in a very functional way. So the first lecture we're going to listen to is an interview that Sasha Shulgin did in 1996 in Mexico with a journalist there. And they have a really, really amazing conversation and it's a great way to introduce you to him and kind of get you in his frequency so you can feel what he was thinking in that time. It was in Palenque and it's an incredible interview. So we're going to start there and then we're going to go to some interviews that took place around 2013, maybe even in 2014, where we hear some really touching final thoughts towards the tail end of his life in this dimension. So that will be very sweet and amazing to listen to at that time. And as we usually do in these lecture episodes, we're going to be sitting here taking notes, thinking about what to talk about at the end. So that's what we do. We listen, we learn together. You'll hear me come in, maybe laugh, maybe make a comment here and there. And at the end, we'll be back to talk about what we've learned as we close this episode out. So thank you for joining us. We're going to go ahead and start. This is Sasha Shulgin. In Planqué, Mexico, in 1996. Here we go.
2: Psychedelics, drugs, or potential tools to explore the mind. Tools. What motivates the researchers in this field? Psychedelics, why and how?
0: Interviews with Luke Sala,
2: Sasha Shugin. Some call him the father of MDMA. But in fact, he is one of the leading researchers in antiogens, in chemicals that change our mood, our brain. Now, what I'm interested in, uh, Sasha, is the roots of this all. I mean, you started working this as a scientist in a laboratory with modern means, but doesn't all this searching for the alternative goes back many, many, many centuries?
3: Well, you have to realize what I'm searching for, which is not for altering. Consciousness or for having fun or for enjoying this or for discovering that I'm looking for tools That can be used for studying the mind and other people then will use the tools in finding out the aspects of the mental process And how it ties to the brain, but my main drive is in as a tool maker making of tools and letting other people exploit them
2: But that means you have a fascination with with how the mind how the brain works completely
3: fascinated, but not the brain, the mind. The brain is now, we're in the decade of the brain. Everyone looking at neurotransmitters here and serotonin and dopamine and all these sort of things, which is a marvelous search. And indeed they're uncovering many peculiarities of neurological connections, but many are being found in animals. And in fact, the animal's the main uh, location for search, for research. And I'm interested in things that affect the mental process, the function of the mind which is not necessarily to be found in an animal. So the questions I am addressing are how does one affect the attitude towards something, the self-image of something, mm-hmm. the feeling of, 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 of religious ecstasy or of fear and paranoia, something you can't see in a rat.
2: Is, is that true? Do you think that that's the difference between human beings and, and animals? That I, I cannot conceive of how a rat would have
3: a good self-image or a bad self-image. I might see how he behaves to a stimulus, or I might retreat from an attack, or how he might be lured by some pheromone into some uh, relationship. But a self-image, or the uh, knowledge that he is mortal and he must achieve something or other before his death, uh, the sense that he has a an ominous uh, apprehension of something that might occur in the future, uh, the memory of an early life experience. Uh, earlier incarnation reincarnation these are interesting aspects of the human mind but they're not that to my knowledge knowledge of a, a part of the rats in, well
2: long time ago there was saint francis uh, in italy and he i was i like that he went out and preached to the animals and the birds so there must be something
3: <laughs> well maybe uh, he enjoyed that form of uh, interaction i did the birds respond well I don't remember.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There is no order of the the birds yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but there is a Saint Francis. There is a Saint Francis, (laughs) and and, then he changed things. San Francisco, for one thing. Um, Can you can you when you go back to when you were young? What what was there something that made you go for the mind?
3: Yes, uh, it was um, an extraordinary experience with mescaline. Oh gosh, about forty, maybe forty years ago. I was given in an experimental setting of 350 milligrams of mescaline sulfate, and I knew intellectually what it was and what it did, but I did not know personally what it was and what it did. There were about 10 of us together, and about half of us were experimental subjects, and half of the people were babysitters. And I went in it with an, rather an open view of what was going to happen, and I was totally dumbfounded by what occurred I suddenly found myself into an extraordinary world physical world around me visual sensory world of color of interpretation of motion of form of shape and I my first response was to say how did this drug do this how did 350 milligrams of a white solid produce this effect and then I realized the drug had almost nothing to do with it that drug allowed me to realize, express, to, to appreciate, I was there all along, and I was totally blind to it. So what it did, it catalyzed the opening of my own viewing, and that caught my fancy. And from that point on, I've, I've been in research in this world ever since. <laughs>
2: yeah, but go further back, because the fact that you were even willing to do an experiment like that must have had earlier roots. I mean, what's, how was your, your, your parents? Were they obsessed with the mind? Was there a school that they said, hey, this is...
3: No, the um, I think probably immediately prior to this experiment, I had been exploring psycho-this-that-changes. I had been reading everything I could upon things that were sedatives, that were narcotics, uh, everything from vasodilators of yohimbine, which might be uh, az- uh, a- aphrodisiacs, to the psychedelic drugs, and the word psychedelic did not exist, but to drugs that might be involved in changing the point of view or attitude of people, things that might be in uh, with some religious context. I was intellectually preparing myself for this event. Why was I interested at all? That would go back yet younger uh, when I was in my pre- pre-adolescence, in which I found myself in a very interesting interaction with some kind of an alter me, an alter ego, uh, I had uh, a very few, very few, in fact, I had virtually no good friends. A few I had were either aggressive or destructive. Mm-hmm. And so I was more or less a loner. And I got deeply involved in music. I found that good retreat in that. But being in music uh, alienated me with yet other people who were in the physical world and sports and what have you. And so I more or less pursued my own relationships with my own unconscious and I did not realize at that time that that was a, a potential ally, and I saw it as a as a as a not a particularly friendly component.
2: Could you, if you say that, could it be that you were searching for the dark depths of your mind because the fact that other people didn't like you, you were a little bit of a loner, that 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 made you doubt yourself, and that these substances and this research gave you an opportunity to look deeper into yourself?
3: Well, I did not know at that time that there was any research or any world like this out there. I had to live totally within myself. I remember uh, the the pleasures I had in being underneath a a fence uh, that was behind the house. I lived in Berkeley at that time in California. And the fence was a honeysuckle fence. And on it were these marvelous little blossoms that you could bite the end off and, and have a very sweet drop of fluid. And I found that was an ally in the sense that here was something that made me feel at home. And yet my neighbor and my parents owned the fence, but the path underneath it went on both sides. And I could, in essence, uh, uh, straddle across both worlds <laughs> in a, uh, and use the... You still do that, I huh? still do that, yeah. But I the honeysuckle as sort of a as a personal... A palliative retreat, and it was a personal friend of mine, and uh, I established a good relationship with that plant, and maybe that was the beginning of a relationship with plant and plant materials. Just the sweetness and the and the absolute trustworthiness of honeysuckle. Mm-hmm.
2: But so your motivations might not have been to seek the godhead at first. You were just curious. You wanted to know why you were different and how that worked.
3: I don't think I'm interested in the Godhead now. I don't really quite know what it is. I'm interested now in what works upstairs and why it works. Sometimes you have to disrupt something to see how it should work. Sometimes you'll come across something that is disrupted, and these may be tools to reconstruct what has been disrupted for pathological or, or traumatic reasons. I don't know. But you have you can go into the direction of, of trying to repair, help, be a therapist, Interact with others, this is noble. This is a whole profession unto itself, not mine. What I know in time there will be a going with tools, with therapeutic tools to the helping of others, and my art's making those tools. And I want to use my energy that way.
2: Now, some people will say that the tools you made, 2CB and, and you re brought to the surface uh, MDMA and many, many other uh, substances backfired it it has been used for the wrong reasons so you they see you as a bad guy because you you didn't help the world you put it into more misery
3: in what i have no no i have no voice in how these things are used Mm-hmm. My point is putting them in the medical literature and scientific literature and let people use it. Good heavens, people publish how to make gunpowder f- gun and isolate uranium isotopes. Mm-hmm. That makes it no less of a, of a search how these things are, what they will do, how, and, and how, how to obtain them for whatever use you wish to put them to. Education can be put to a terrible misuse. I've seen it done that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone will ask me, well, aren't there irreversible? changes from drug use. There are irreversible changes from an advanced degree in the university. You're never the same person, but you've been equipped with something. How you use it, then you sort of strike a bargain with your own alter ego and perhaps your own unconscious. But to have that information allows you to use it. Not to have it robs you of that possibility. And I've struck tools exactly at that point. They're there, they do this, they modify that, they change the viewing towards something Search it out. Let other people use the tools, and they are far better equipped than I am to use them. I have, I have no experience, nor do I particularly want to use it that way. But I want to make the tools, because that I can do.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you personally, have you felt that it, that it worked, that these things helped at least yourself and the people that you knew good enough to get a another view on the reality, to, to see themselves in a, in a. They've helped
3: me very much uh my, my wife uh, very much has a, a good uh, viewing of what she calls the shadow, the aspect of a person uh, who is confronted, will, in fact will not confront, but has there to confront an inner something, a beast, a, a shadow, a something of the person, the in Jungian sense, the unconscious of that, not the subconscious, but wait down there, the beast in the belly. And that is very often looked upon by people as an absolutely frightening uh, enemy, and hence it is suppressed. It's turned away. Maybe we can turn to do this or escape. We'll go and, and work at living over there, or we'll drink too much over there, or maybe we'll marry as we shouldn't marry, but have children. Escape that, it. Escape absolutely. Rather than confront that, and to f- confront that is frightening, and to some people can be very destructive. Take a person who knows that beast is there, mm-hmm. yeah, but but for you, was it destructive? For it you? was the most marvelous thing that could happen because I found it's a damn ally. I could use it or not use it as I chose, and we, we in essence, shook hands.
2: And was that an extra drive for you to go further in the world and, and look for other things because you think it worked for you?
3: This is a use of a tool that worked for me, but it's not the type of tool I'm trying to develop. I'm trying to develop tools that interfere with the more subtle aspects of the intellect. Because there are many cases where this could be a therapeutic or a constructive or a beneficial approach in areas of mental illness, in areas of, of incomplete cognitive control, in areas of, of, of tumor or traumatic damage, to find alternate routes, alternate routes to, to uh,
2: integrity. Well, there's two models there. One is that of the disorder model and the other is the augmentation model. The disorder augmentation... Um, the disorder model is someone is sick, has a problem, has a, a you know, a psychological, even a bodily function that doesn't work. And with your inventions, uh, substances, that might help. Mm-hmm. Bringing back to the baseline. The other thing is to help people to become smarter. Let's, mm-hmm. You know, we, we can talk about smart drugs or, or substances. that might give them an advantage in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, take people that take a set test I think you call it in America all these these tests if he takes certain drugs he might be able to do to make a better result is that true it may well be but that is not of any interest to me to me either
3: the the repairing of what is deficient or the augmentation of what is adequate are interesting uses of these but I'm not this not of interest to me Uh, if something is inadequate repair might come from a number of the sources I don't think necessarily the understanding of the, of the mechanism of the mental process will lead to automatic repair of damage or augmentation of adequacy. It will allow a tool to be used to explore why it is deficient or explore how it might be augmented. Do, I don't really believe augmentation is that difficult a task. I think that we're, we're running at a full 3% of our capability right now. And I think with just a little bit of, of uh, self-discipline or perhaps a little bit of faith in, in oneself, you can go from three to four percent. that's a big increase and
2: it, it doesn't take a drug at all. <laughs> no you can you can, you can eat better food or go take better holidays, work it it's many ways. Um, but still there, there's the feeling that, that these things we can do to ourselves have an ethical side. If, if people who are rich can use them and others cannot, what would happen to the, to those who stay behind? How is a rich
3: person can use something that a poor person can't? I don't understand.
2: Well, uh, suppose that there are drugs available or or medications or or substances that help you to become smarter. All right.
3: Say there are. Uh, Is this in the interest of the people who control the availability of drugs? to have people become smarter? Is this really the power structure within our government to have people become more informed voters? Is it uh, in, in the interest of, of politicians to have people more intelligent? Uh-huh. Oh really, I don't think that that's quite real. I think it's the interest of those in power to maintain that power. And one way that power is maintained is to restrict and deny and eventually eliminate drugs that would, con- that would constitute competition.
2: Yeah, but then there's always revolutionaries like you, alchemists, who go seek nature, seek seek science, seek a way first to, to help themselves, to, 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 to do the internal alchemical work, but then it goes out in the world, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. True, but I don't
3: believe, other than the satisfaction of getting this information into the public, that I'm a power seeker. Because I find that that is a trap, I've seen it in other people, a trap that allows people to actually begin compromising their own principles very cleanly and very neatly for the sake of accruing power, wealth. It's the same same thing. Uh, I think that the, the satisfaction is what lives beyond you. And indeed, that's why we have children, that's why we have families, that's why we establish relationships, and that's why some people paint art, some people write poetry, and some people make chemicals. Mm-hmm. It's a way of leaving something that is lasting and may be of value. Otherwise, with your death, you are a flame that's gone out. Nothing else.
2: Last night I dreamed, and there was this word: the being of time, which you can interpret in many ways. The being of time. Of we, we happen to be in Mexico at the, at the moment. The Maya people who lived around here were obsessed by by mm-hmm. by things like death and time. Were they also obsessed with with? The, the, the substance that we're talking about
3: they uh, they have survived in many ways that one of my favorite questions I get asked when I come back from the southern part of Mexico is where have the Mayans gone and the question is you Answer it, you just go there and look and they're all about you. They have indeed survived. They have survived most eloquently I don't know where the Spaniards went, but the Mayans are still here. So in that level, they have, they have achieved a, a, a tran- at least a, a, for the moment, immortality. Have they used materials such as this? Of course they have. Because they are all the time searching into themselves for exactly the answer to these things. These are the tools that I have used in some ways as guides as to how to design new, new, new materials for research.
2: But uh, rather, you went to look what, say, the, uh, the 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 botanical stuff was out here, and and used it to see what chemicals were active in there.
3: Completely. Here is a plant. This plant can be used for this purpose. The plant can be used for healing. The whole process of healing is a beautiful example. Here you have drugs, chemicals that are healing chemicals. They are in plants. The the. Ancient knowledge, wisdom of what the plants are is indeed carried from generation to generation. But a little touch, sometimes the healing plants are used to treat illness, not in the patient, but in the physician. The physician will take the drug, will take the healing thing to be able to interpret what is wrong with the patient and be able to help the patient. A different view that comes only with the awareness that healing is a process, if you are a healer, of interaction.
2: And that is inter- so funny because you have studied the chemical interaction which is very defined we talk about uh, molecules and their their active parts and what you call the dirty pictures of the of the chemist and now you say yes but there is another thing there's the interaction that the doctor can be the helper but also he can be the one who takes the burden because that's what they do leap
3: ahead to the purpose I'm after where you develop tools that can be used in studying the human mind the person it that will require human human interaction too and that whether the tool is used in a radioactive sample to go into the brain and go into a positon emission tomography picture to see where it goes, it doesn't tell you how the mind works. It tells you where the chemical goes in the mind. To understand how the mind works may take the interaction with the subject, the volunteer. It may be the researcher. It may be both. But it may be uh, an exchange of understanding in which these chemicals merely open up doors, catalyze vehicles of expression that would not otherwise be there. These are not going to be doing things. They're going to be allowing things. Just as a plant to the medicine man in the jungle is allowed to see the the definition of the illness, this is a way in which a researcher or a person who is a companion in a question is allowed to see the approach to mental process. It doesn't do things, it allows things. And that is the heart of this whole area of
2: research. Your next book is... We have a book called Pical and now there's going to be a book called Tical, Tical. which is about a different class of, of chemical...
3: It's uh, the area of these mental, catalytic, uh, so-called psychedelic or psychoactive materials. Pical is for phenethylamines, which is about half of the psychedelic scene. The other book is about tryptamines, which is in essence the other side of the coin, is the rest of the, of the picture. The two members of these two classes probably constitute about 95% of all psychoactive drugs.
2: Now, in the first book, there was a very personal account of your coming to terms with these mm-hmm. things. It was more of an ad- adventure on how you invented these things or invented, found them. Is Tikal going to have that personal aspect too?
3: It'll have personal aspect, of, but uh, both Anne and I have covered this question already of how we got started, how we are at peace with this, and how we have mm-hmm. formed our own relationship. Now, what have we done with it? Where have we been going with it, and where might we go with it? So that aspect will be kind of a... Fictionalized autobiography as well and then the second half of the book again will be as in the first book uh, Descriptions of the drugs involved
2: for the people that really want to know What I think people really want to know are you happy because you you What's your age now? Uh, 71 you fly around the world speak at all kinds of conferences do work You're still in the laboratory You've had some problems with the law there that you they didn't allow you to do some research But you're still very active This this all this work has done you good. I could not be happier Thank you, Sasha
0: Okay That was one section of this interview. I think there's more
3: there are chemicals that are pheromones to insects which come from plants that the pheromone, for example, if it comes from a... Okay,
0: it looks like these are some outtakes. It yeah. to early in the but day then it'll,
3: optical from it, it'll turn circle back, I have a feeling. reading half of the other insect. But the insect will then come at the right time of day to pick up the pollen at the right time to take the other. <laughs> chemistry! Weird, weird, yeah, weird pheromone. Nature, weird I mean, weird this, and without one, you don't have the other.
2: This interview took place in Palenque, in the Mexican state of Chiapas, and a place where... Magic mushrooms can be found in the fields, but the same goes for many places in Mexico and in the old days there was probably a cult around magic mushrooms or other psychedelic substances. Sasha Shulgin is probably the most renowned expert in the world on synthetic drugs chemical compounds that have effects that resemble those of the magic mushrooms or other substances from the past, like the ergot, or some substances that people think that the Aztecs used in their time a few thousand years ago. Sasha Shugan researched most into psychedelic drugs. And has written two books. One of them is called Pical, the people who are interested in amphetamines. And his latest book is called Tical, and it's about tryptamines. Tryptamines like DMT, one of the substances in magic mushrooms, or psilocybin. But DMT comes back in many, many substances from the jungle, like the ayahuasca from South America. Alexander Shugin and his wife have done chemical research, but also therapy, group therapy, individual sessions with many, many people based on the substances that they have found. And as Alexander Shugin has said, he has used all the compounds that he found, invented, made. A truly remarkable man who can be seen as the father of ecstasy, although that's the one chemical compound he hasn't actually synthesized first but he made many many others like 2cb pcp and many many of these so-called designer drugs synthetic drugs as they're known the drugs of the disco scene although that is certainly not what alexander schugin intended he made those drugs he researched into Strange substances, strange combinations, strange compounds, in order to know more about the mind.
3: Money, See, it is a political interesting point of view of the, in Mexico as almost all the marijuana is raised by the army. What is the size of the industry that is the war on drugs? Not how much money is involved? See, how big is that industry? <laughs>
2: Prisons and the fastest growing Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an enormous business. Yeah. It's probably between three and five hundred billion dollars. So there's no reason to stop it. Who benefits? The
3: uh, State Department can no longer enter Spain with a little muscle and do this and do that.
2: No. Yeah, Dennis Peron said that uh, you know the effect of his work would be that the price of marijuana would go down, and I thought, Jesus, that is maybe the, not the wisest <laughs> thing to say because, yeah, mm-hmm. Kebona, who has an interest in lowering no, no. the price of marijuana, there's such
3: a. I mean, Dix- Dixie Cups make cups routinely to sell for urine tests. Eight. If Hewitt Packard is back-ordered on GCMS's at $50,000 a piece providing these instruments for people who want to confirm urine tests of people who want to work for the gas company but can't work for the gas company unless they pee in a cup every three weeks. That's a big business. Who benefits by wiping out the Constitution, which has been about 30% stripped of its meaning because of the war on drugs? It used to be you were secure in your house. You may now be entered by a policeman who's acting in good faith. And I get to see a policeman who doesn't act in good faith without a warrant. If in good faith he thinks there may be a drug crime committed.
2: And you have salt on your kitchen table, that is part of...
3: If in good faith he believes there is some crime associated with your car, he may take your car without even arresting or bringing a charge. Your car is gone. And he keeps it without accounting.
2: There's no now, auditing. Now, now there was the feeling that, you know, a nation always needs a war. Yeah. Now we had a war on drugs, and there was the hope that uh, that there would be, or the hope there was the idea that there would be a thing called uh, the war on uh, cyberspace. Yeah, the electronic mm-hmm. frontier, mm-hmm. the electronic highway. I mm-hmm. think Max Moore called it. Uh, now they're finding out it doesn't work. People mm-hmm. don't want this new, this mm-hmm. new expansion.
0: Would they go to
2: the war on drugs? Would they go back? Would the government, <laughs> instead of spending money now on the electronic highway, go back to to fighting drugs? They've never left fighting drugs. That's,
3: that's
2: not the. Well, people say that under Clinton there was a little bit of a of, of a less of a less of a of a thing. Oh, I missed it. Yes, you yeah. think it, it? It went on. As this, is the or, this is the only
3: election I know of in which a Republican ran against a Republican. <laughs> No, tell Clinton to win as the things He says every teenager, we're going to have this McCafferty figure, a way we can get this into law and so forth. Every teenager who applies for driving a driving license shall take a drug test. You're going to deny him the license? But are you going to deny three out of every hundred teenagers a driver's license because your tests are mediocre? What are you going to do with the people who fail? Tell them to come back in six months? They never answer these questions. If you realize that morphine has now been shown to be a natural component of the brain beside op- bagels giving you opium poppies things uh, you drive down on a bus in the back of a bus and going from here over to uh, Villa Hermosa, and that pot smoking back makes you positive urine marijuana for the next three days uh, that's not of your doing but you're positive and three out of every hundred are false anyway you're, you're condemning... Why, why, why are I making
2: people this, this nearly fascist, frightening society? It's because not good it for our control.
3: health. No, it's not good for our health. It's not good for the Constitution because it is a control. Why, why do people form police states? I lost the, the thread. Why were the national movements in Germany in the third late 30s what they were to cleanse and make the society clean and uh, homogeneous yeah. and uh, lead to the Fourth Reich and the better better state? Why? Because jolly people got their jollies out of it. They were in power and they could run it. And say we have exactly the same thing in the United States. We have whole bodies of elite who are really doing a lot of controlling. They're not elected and they're not even known publicly. You have the General Service Administration, you have hosts of
2: advisors into the military and in the, in the executive who are not publicly known figures. Why is it that the pollution that is outside in the world and that we know has also really invaded our political system then? when was it we're free of it the the, the pollution
3: i know you but know. but we were never free of it we've always had a form of pollution in the real in the in the, in the real was world it? and in, a, in yeah. the in the virtual world yeah. 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 that is the way of politics the way of the warriors in the other
2: sense <laughs> <laughs> not a nice way <laughs> thank you sasha and who knows what you will find in the future because Sasha Shugin is by no way finished with his research. His research in what a free mind can find.
0: Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Luke Sala. Interesting guy. It's just a rare recording. That's why I felt like it was beneficial to listen to that together because you got to hear a lot of Sasha Shulgin's personality, it really came through. He talked really fast and he had a lot of dense ideas, a density of ideas. So it was really interesting to get his personality in that way. And the interviewer asked good enough questions to really stimulate his thinking. And it seemed like Sasha was being very generous as well and and how he guided the conversation just to really, drive home points in a really clear and digestible way, a way that was easy to process. Brynn, what did you think?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually I thought it it was, his personality is great. I thought that that was, um, came through very clearly in the interview, which was cool. Um, some of the just like little things that he said, like anything can be misused, including a college degree, you know, I've seen it happen or (laughs) different things like that. um, yeah, a couple cool points. Just talking about um, about healing being a process of interaction, and how it's maybe the healer that takes that on. Maybe the healer, you know, takes the substance or goes into meditation in order to figure out, you know, what's going on. Not just plying the patient with some substance to just make their symptoms go away. It's very different than the way things are done, uh, in our current, um, pharmaceutical medical model. Um, so there's that, that's, that, uh, stuck out to me. And then also just as a plant person, I always notice people's plant stories and there's always that one plant that starts your journey. And what was
0: that plant? I remember it was he, the
1: honeysuckle, the which, honeysuckle.
0: I was going to ask you yeah. about that. What, what are the esoteric so, meanings of the honeysuckle? Uh,
1: Honeysuckle is one of my childhood favorites as well. And it does, it has a little thing at the end and you pull it off and you get this one beautiful sweet drop of nectar. Um, So honeysuckle is often used as a flower essence and I'm Sorry, I don't remember off the top of my head um, what specific okay. use that is for, but it is definitely used on the etheric body and for, you know, emotional and psychic support of the, the system. I mean, of the, of the human, excuse me, not the system. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was sweet. And the way that he said that honeysuckle... I wrote it down because it was so cool. The sweetness and trustworthiness of the plant world. And that just like, Uh that's so beautiful because that's how it is. And the intelligence and the pure love coming from the plant community and, and it pulls people in and that, you know, pulled him in as a child. He's walking in this, this little secret walkway, which as a child I'm sure is much bigger than an adult would notice it and getting these sweet drops of nectar. And to him that, that entrusted the knowledge of the plant kingdom. to It him.
0: tapped him into plant consciousness. Yes, and absolutely. Really and
1: he was able to carry that through his life. And like that one crystalline moment could have been the start of his entire life works.
0: And he and, said he was a tool maker, which I thought that was interesting that yeah. he wanted other people to use. He just knew how to create the tools which I thought was really cool. And he did 250. And like uh, Luke Sala was saying, he tried them all. So, wow, what an incredible, incredible run.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting to read about.
0: And he also talked about how it didn't really matter the amount or the substance that really just was about unlocking where you can go once you allow yourself to get there. It allowed things to happen. It didn't make things happen.
1: Right. He said that it, it wasn't, you know, how did this drug do this? That it wasn't, that the drug did nothing at all. It was more that it allowed something to open up inside him that had been there all along.
0: It allowed you to make the choice to shift your frequency and then more information would come in. You'd have those incredible experiences. And really, he... Catalogued those experiences in a method that he called the Shulgin Scale. And it described how you could process your different types of psychedelic experiences or really just the different intensity levels. And that's the next video that we're going to listen to. We're going to listen to him later in his life talk about with his wife. The Shulgin scale. It's a really interesting, sweet video. And you can tell that it's 20-something years later in his voice. But he's still there. Spirit's the same. The shell went through its biological processes, but the spirit's the same, and he's blessing us with this information. So here we go. Anne and Sasha Shulgin describe the Shulgin scale.
4: Uh, but but you know, if you could explain your 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 plus uh, system, plus and minus system, because uh, you don't just take a little uh, amount; you measure that tiny amount exactly mm-hmm. when you take it. And uh, uh, you the, the Shulgin scale is now being used pretty widely. Uh, the plus and, and minus and
3: well, explain the y, what the wide the use of Shogun scale is corrupted by the fact of the deterioration of children's memory. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember, if I take a little bit of something, no, no, not a little bit, not how much you take, it's what you turn on to, okay? Uh-huh. <clears throat> no action, no action, no action, zero. That's minus, minus. Okay. Uh,
4: min- minus is basically uh, no that's effect. No
3: effect, no. Oh. Right, yeah. Then you to, ooh, ooh, that's up. No, no, that's up not sure, no, no. That, no.
4: That's the plus, that's minus, plus minus, which yeah. means uh, you think maybe there's something and then it turns out not to there's be.
3: turns out to be, you're no. not sure, uncertain. Then you have, of course, the, the straightforward, that's interesting. I, 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 <laughs> I probably shouldn't go out and drive, I have to go downtown to get some punches at the store. <laughs> uh, but you drive, you're perfectly fine, but you're <laughs> sparking just that little bit. Yeah, yeah. Plus, plus, plus one. one. Right. Then you get the plus two.
4: Uh, which, uh, again, uh, you don't take uh, any amount of the, the new drug um, uh, except maybe every two or three days. Uh, uh, oh, sorry,
3: no, even, three, even twice a week at most.
4: Yeah, okay. So, so you go up very, very slowly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you get to plus one, then you go up even more slowly, because right. you've got effect.
3: Because you want, plus two is where you are, Ooh, this is really, really going somewhere. No driving no, dri- no driving, no <laughs> driving <laughs> And uh, you're and not quite certain about this and that, I don't know. Did you record the time when I started? I, I right, seem to yeah. lost my, yeah. I don't know where. <laughs> that, that, that's plus two. <laughs> yeah.
4: Plus two is, you definitely, Excuse me, you definitely know there's an effect and Mm -hmm. you can begin to tell, you can pretty much tell what the nature of the effect is. Right,
3: yes, and you can write it down, this, this, yeah. plus three. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to drive that car. No, no, absolutely. I'll, you know, I'll sit right here and enjoy what's going on. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's interesting. But I never saw those things on, on, a, on a ceiling before. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see those up mm-hmm. there? Yeah.
4: Death plus three. You're no longer uh, daring to interact with the outside world because it just wouldn't be safe. Absolutely. Uh, time may be distorted. Uh, um, or change, uh, space might be distorted, mm-hmm. but what you've got is pretty much the the full effect.
3: And then you have the problem of the degradations into small increments and then the extraordinary extreme. Let's take one at a time. Uh huh. Degradates into small increments. What is plus 2.4? Hmm. Well, that's Two and a half. A little over two and a half, but not quite three, two and three quarters. Not quite three, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. These are little things in there and they start playing games with little numbers. Uh-huh. Then you have the situation if you're plus three, you're totally stoned. You're out <laughs> you're, you're right there. Well, I don't know if I'd use the
4: word stoned, but um Yeah. Stoned. All right, okay, stoned. Then you have what
3: I call plus four. Uh yeah. There's no way of putting a number to it.
4: That's a very unusual. You are
3: out of it. I've only had it twice mm-hmm. in my life. Really? Yeah. You're out of it. You're really whew, Look at that funny, funny bird flying down here. Go away. The bird goes away. (laughs) you have control over everything around you. Power. Complete power. And that's good for oh that's fun for an hour or two or three. Then you begin saying, What the thing what if this were to last forever? Oh my god. (laughs) You know, you don't know what what to do with it. Yeah. I'm just as soon get out of this. And meanwhile the animals run away from you and everything's (laughs) gone. The telephone rings and you say, I don't answer the phone, the phone stops ringing. You have all that kind of control. Yeah. Oh, you think you do? You think you do. Well, I do. Yeah, you have. You have that, yeah. right. You stop
4: a phone from ringing
3: by saying, stop, and it stops.
4: Well, well in other words, if you have uh, um, psychic abilities or ESP, um, uh, they can flower mm-hmm. uh, in, in a plus four whereas they may not in a plus three. Well, I tell you, I do not like plus fours particularly.
3: Really? Because I can't get out of them. <laughs> well, you have so far. Yeah, only twice.
4: Yeah, Could
3: I still be in? I'm not sure. Go
4: But the plus four actually shouldn't even be in the plus scale. It's because not in because the plus scale,
3: completely out of this world and something. And it doesn't
4: around. seem to have any real connection with a particular drug.
3: No. Nope.
4: Uh, it's uh, you the same drug
3: again three weeks later.
4: Yeah. Not no, there. No, no mm-hmm. such thing. Uh, it's, um, if you want to get really serious about it, plus four is a state of grace. You described it as such. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
4: you are really in the spiritual world, and uh, um, it, it, it's a samadhi state, uh, the Indians would, Use the word samadhi. samadhi. That brings up three memories. No, think. no, don't. <laughs> do that. You lifted the bag of
3: cement uh, just by thoughts. That's right. I moved, turned upside down. Yeah. I remember that? Yeah. Right. The bag of cement was uh, up, upside down in the yeah. rain or something. Like that. Yeah. So I said, turn over and it turned over. Yeah. And and the very interesting thing is how many of
4: these concepts that happen like that. Whether they actually happen no. or whether one thinks they happen and that yeah. would be a very interesting thing oh, to get up oh, yes yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. they actually happen you think yeah. they happen yeah. yeah same thing same yeah. thing yeah so there's no way, of no yeah. way. well what changes is uh, the usual assumption most of us uh, whether we admit to it or not um assume that we can't move objects uh, at a distance with our thoughts I mean, we like to talk about telepathy and um, kinetics and what is yeah. uh, um, telekinesis yes, yeah. sorry. Uh, but uh, if it actually happened while you're sitting in the doctor's uh, office you know waiting to be seen, if you could actually move uh, that object you'd be uh, you'd be uh, panicked. but in this state uh, you know you can yeah. And therefore, you do. Mm-hmm. Huh? You don't mm-hmm. Yeah. You uh, feel and perfectly in Absolutely. In-tuned. Yeah. You're, you're in tune. Ah. And uh, those, you've had only two? Twice. Really? Ah. And probably much nearer sometimes, around the edges, flirting with that area.
3: Uh, I've yes. never found a fraction between plus three and plus four. Right. And right. Plus four is by itself. So a yeah. yeah. Different word. Right. Yeah. yeah yeah and not a nice one in some ways you can't get out of it but you
4: you think maybe you're not going to be able to get out of it but but uh i think you know that you will yeah As, at the time you can worry that you won't get out yeah. of it, can't you that yes it has that feeling of eternity but a certain amount of experience uh was a strange thing because even though um you know you're going to get out of it one of the things that that uh, comes to you when you're in that state is that you know that some part of you is always in that state it's just you're Mm -hmm. not consciously aware of it Mm -hmm. yes Uh, but also a plus four not not only has nothing to do with a particular drug it it is not necessarily connected with taking a drug Mm -hmm. it can come from taking drug absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah
0: Dang, Sasha Sulgan, 1925 to 2014. And so we're going to continue, same era, same interview, and a different section, again at the tail end of his life. I love that scale, the Shulgin scale, and we're just going to listen to them talk a little bit about mescaline and MDMA and then we'll, we'll, we'll recap it after that. Here we go.
4: I know the first uh, the first real psychedelic experience I, I had was of uh, the peyote and that definitely was.
3: Right.
4: No question. Uh, uh, but there was so much packed into that one experience yeah. that when I met Sasha many years later I told him very firmly that I didn't believe that anyone should take a psychedelic more often than once every six years.
0: <laughs> six
4: years, and he said six years <laughs> because <laughs> it would be six years since, <clears throat> I'd, since this had happened, and I was still processing all the things that had happened. Right. Just, just incredible. Um, so. Uh, I think he talked me out of.
3: That. <laughs> he said, "I don't think you have to wait that long." <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, interestingly, the same. Uh, I took my first psychedelic experience about the same time she did. We had never met for, you know, until a couple of decades later. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. It was the same time. No, you had your first.
4: Uh, your first psychedelic experience was. Uh, Really psychedelic. it was in the Navy. Um,
3: oh no, that, that was that was another word. Entirely.
4: Yeah. But but uh weren't you No, no, I took mescaline.
3: really? Yeah, you, did, you took uh, peyote. I, I took peyote. And yeah. I took mescaline. And it was a very similar time I I never had this before. My experience was totally different from yours. Yeah. So I had this in material and I was told these were things that turned you on. These are things that made you sparkle, things that made you have a... Oh, who told you that? Do you remember? Oh, it's in the literature. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. And I, I took a reasonably good stout dose of mess with and I felt the thing coming on, and what I did, I did not get into a state. I began remembering my earlier life. Oh. When you were a child. Uh, yeah, when I was a child. Yeah. And I relived my life as a child. And mm-hmm. then I realized I saw this, I understood that, I, I was aware of the other. Right. Yeah. But they all made sense. Mm-hmm. And where was I at that time? I have no
4: idea. What What state were you in? At, uh, you, you Stone. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you mean by, uh, do you mean by where we're, were you?
3: You don't mean physically. No, 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 we're mentally. Yeah, right. You in the child's I, I, world. I, back in there, and I go back in this area and I go back into my early childhood. Yeah. Nor, normally with no idea of what's going on. Yeah,
4: yeah.
3: And th- then I came out of this as said, that was the most fascinating experience I've ever had. Uh-huh. It allowed me memory of my early world,
4: yeah. I never had.
3: So I said, this is a strange chemical.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And
3: so it's mescla, let's try it again. <laughs> so about well, two weeks later, so I said another thing and went back in the same sort of thing. It didn't have an effect on me. It gave me memories of my childhood and I relived my childhood. But,
4: yeah.
3: Uh, I, I had a little bit left over in the glass and they said, well, uh, you know, why don't you just finish it up? Leave it alone, this is precious. <laughs> yes. had this bottle of stuff that was called mescla.
4: Yeah.
3: Go away. that, that went on uh, on the... On the Special shelf, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then about, it looks like I said, if that is good, what do you do? to put a methyl group up here? Change it a little bit. Move it uh, around a little bit. Yeah. And so I did. I made, I think, uh, alpha ethyl, I forget what it was. Something, uh, I know it was a N ethyl homologue mm-hmm. mescaline. What would it be called otherwise? M E M. Is there an M E M? Oh, yeah. I think okay, M E M. Right, right. As the first modification of mescaline I made. Uh-huh. Made it beautiful solid, it's about the same melting point, a little bit lower melting point. Yeah. And it was all pure, like a good microanalysis on it. So I said, I'll take the same amount of this and see if it goes the same place. Whoa. I took the same amount of it, I, I worked up to it a little bit, but. Oh, same good. Amount when I got up there, and I went gently. Got up there, and fantastic, same funny world. But rather than putting things in this precious place, I tore it apart to see he what's inside of it. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's not
4: the flower thing. Yeah. yeah. That's and interesting. What? You tore it apart? Parts. Well, there was a flower. A no, flower, yes.
3: I saw it beautiful on the, on the um, what do you call the things in front of On Masculine, you you
4: Of course, a flower. It season,
3: mm-hmm. Mescalon, yeah. you, uh, flower it. And it was a treasure of a flower.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And it had colors and shades and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and for some reason, I wanted to maybe see if it opened up to go, you. Know, I wanted to touch it, leave it alone, it's precious. Mm-hmm. But with the methylholologue, I said, this beautiful flower, it tore it apart, see what's inside of it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. A complete yeah. change uh-huh. yeah, yeah. of attitude toward the unknown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I said, why well, don't you take one carbon atom? <laughs> And add to that thing. Completely change the nature of action. Mm -hmm. There must be a million things you can do with it. And there were. And there were. (laughs) (laughs) And that got me off my my world. But I got over in the lab, and I found if you added, methyl ethyl, let's add a propyl group, let's so add an amyl group, let's put things over here, let's move yeah. things around that way. Yeah. yeah. So I took that simple little molecule, of Mexico and i looked not surprised that you would not believe. Added this, yeah. added this, yeah. this, this way, this way. Yeah. yeah. And then every everything was new. Everything was new. So it, most of it was unpredictable, totally unpredictable. Yeah. But it was it was discovery. Every single thing. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Then yeah. I said, well, I'm playing around a silly little molecule. Let's put a group over there, and a whole new thing. You go over here, no activity at all. Yeah. So you find different places in the molecule. You add things, take things away. And then you discovered the magical four position, or The four positions, I Discovered. Yeah. That in the in the Mexican world controlled everything.
4: Uh-huh.
3: And so I put a S group up here. Wow, new world of things to discover.
4: The D O M and D O I. Yeah,
3: all these these D-O-I. things. D O B. D O D O M was named for the fact that I. Well, there's a term in, in in chemistry known as DES, meaning get rid of it. DES, yeah, desoxy. And uh, I knew Mesclun's activity, so I what I did, I took the methyl group, methoxy group up here in uh-huh. Mesclun, and took away the oxygen. So it's just a methyl group up there, new area entirely.
4: Yeah.
3: So since I took the oxygen away, I caused a desoxy mesclin. Yeah. That, oh. So so oh. D-O-M.
4: DOM, right. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, a whole new world opened
4: up. That's the weekend
3: stuff, yeah. I mean. Yeah. And yeah. how much did that change it? From it the made it more potent and gave me a whole new world of discovery. Yeah. That you could play with. It uh, was yeah. amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful,
4: fun. The D-O, yeah. uh, DO series, DOI, DOB, DOM, DOC Yeah, even. DOC, you made them all. And they're all long. I mean, yeah. Uh, you. yeah. But well, they're longer. hours. Oh, gosh.
3: You and go to sleep and you wake up and you're still on. Yeah, but the D right. is for desoxy. Right. Then you had the two C B. Yeah. I said <laughs> As if all these marvelous desoxy things are in there amphetamine homologs and such racky. Let us go back to the phenethylamine underneath it, get back toward where originally uh-huh. it was. And then you have the since phenethylamine has two carbons,
1: mm-hmm.
3: I call them two C. M for Messman, B for Bromo, C for Chloro, all that kind of thing. Mm. A whole new area of psychedelics, just right, just yeah. right there. Right. And they're, they're fun to make, they're different, right. you have to be sure you're making the right thing.
4: Yeah. And everyone
3: is new and different.
4: Amazing. And this is just by changing the different it's connections. It's amazing.
3: And how do you actually do that? How do you change all the molecules around it? By going to a laboratory process. and starting from scratch and building a whole new molecule with a new structure. Okay. Yeah. You, don't, you don't move things on molecules. You forget. put things on new molecules that have never been there before. Yeah. Right. And, everything, oh, everything,
4: yeah. Everything. Yeah. and yeah. how do you do that? You do it by mixing things together so they coagulate. No, i the chemistry, synthesis and difficulties yeah. in the laboratory, this would be another
3: 22 hours. Right? <laughs>
4: yeah, the first thing you yeah. do is you go to the university and enrol in a
3: class in yeah. chemistry. Yeah. And ignore, ignore what they teach you <laughs> yeah. and have the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. oh.
2: I was just wondering what the story actually was, how did you reinvent MDMA and how did it from that point, become this mass culture drug. I,
3: I, I didn't reinvent it. It was invented in 1912 or something or other. Okay. You're actually the godfather. The godfather. The godfather. Okay, right. The godfather. <laughs> material was made in, I think, 1912 or yeah, it was yeah. patented in 1914. A Merck company in Germany, and it was patented as a intermediate in making a compound. This is the drug they wanted to sell. Right. So in the course of making it, they went to boom, 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 boom. And the first boom happened to be MDMA, because it was an intermediate in the synthesis. They didn't look at it pharmacologically, totally unknown. But it was synthesized before World War One. What full? As an intermediate in making something that was killed in sex or something. Okay. And uh, there was not in the literature again for another, another decade or two. And then... Uh, there began someone began a study. I can't remember when. it where, roughly in the, seven, in the 1950s or 60s or something of materials that are closely related to these, these uh, psychedelics. And MDMA was closely related, and it looked there into there and didn't have any uh, psychedelic action in their tests. And there was another another uh, few years. I forget the details of the chronology, but. It was up until about 1980 or so that uh attention was directed to mdma as an intermediate and uh people in europe and also some some there and also in the middle of the country uh, i think it was illinois and perhaps in the little west of there, Kansas or something were looking at this as an interesting stimulant and i heard about this in the 1950, 1970, 1980 something, and they were trying it in themselves. And I was curious, because I had tried a number of, of N-methylated amphetam- amphetamines and stimulants. None of them were active. So I, did, I didn't believe this could be active. So I made some of the material. This was after it had been looked at them and not published. And by golly, it's a, it's a stimulant with a fair amount of psychedelic action. So I put it into the literature as such. That's my whole mm-hmm. art form. is right. mm-hmm. finding things that are active, verifying they're active, making sure of it, publishing it, and get on to right. something else. Yeah. Yeah. I do not want to a beautiful outline, mm-hmm. And And so how what yeah, happened yeah. after that? How did it become oh, so it, it, it it popular? caught It caught on like fancy for right. some reason. It was a, a group, I guess it was in Texas, was it? Too? No, before that, uh, Leo Zeff, uh, he, he gave yes. it to oh, yeah. you know, Leo. Leo Zeff, uh, he's in his early 70s or something or other, and he'd done a lot of work with psychedelic drugs. And I, and I, he and I worked very closely together. Yeah. I'd make materials for him. He'd give me the reports back and forth. A and psychotherapist. Then, hmm? yeah. A psychotherapist. He's a psychologist. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Superb- and then he retired in 19... 19- Oh, 70 so he was ready to retire ready to retire and I found this MDMA thing so I gave it to him he said I, I'm, I'm nothing new I, I'm, I'm tired try it mm-hmm. <laughs> and he tried it boy he came out of retirement like that <laughs> yeah. he got it through all of his patients all his yeah. subjects all his yeah. physicians yeah. working with and he was probably responsible for his promotion to it Oh, someone numbered 4,000.
4: 4,000. I know a film producer who was a very su- terribly successful, one of the top ones, very hard-hitting film producer. And he was went for therapy with him and was given... Mm-hmm. Oh, really? yeah. Yeah. And then he started a school for 500 untouchable children in India, oh. which he completely runs oh, and so all. Yeah. finances. had a complete personality a change. transformation. Yeah.
3: Sorry, let me interrupt. Yeah. No. Well, that's it. I, I yeah. got him. him. Yeah. It triggered his fascination, he fell in love with it, yeah. spread it around the world, and that was the start of the N, N-methyls. No N-methyls existed before that. Yes. I had made about half a dozen of them, yeah. not active. Yeah. But this particular one, the N-methylation, was a different compound. Yeah. And so I got back in there and began making other N-methyl things here and there, and some of them were active, some were not. Wow,
0: what a history. It just kind of cut off there. Their rare recordings is kind of put together. I just really want you to grasp who Sasha Shulgin was and his wonderful wife, and of course, and what his contribution was. There's a little rhyme up here at the end of this video. It says, Sasha was one of the great givers to humanity and his legacy lives on as a beloved friend and master alchemist who, like Albert Hoffman, has contributed vastly to human happiness and to our understanding of the fuller potential of the human mind. And I have to agree. I love his work. I love his vibes. That's why I had to integrate him into the show. He left this dimension right in 2014. So I had to figure out how to do one episode with Sasha Shulgin with these rare recordings. Hopefully it's cohesive enough to where we picked up, some interesting information. I feel like it's just there. You know, you listen to it, you get some psychedelic history. Maybe you can delve into his books, P Call and T Call. Credible books. Brian, what did you think of those little wrap-up videos?
1: I thought they were great. I loved uh, him talking with his wife. <laughs> their uh, rapport with each other and uh the schulgen scale how they described each one um he's a funny guy I love. I've never movie. had a
0: plus 4. Have you ever had, had, had a plus 4?
1: Uh I feel like I have for about 15 minutes where, so I where you could control reality. Oh, I guess not so much that. No, but I I guess I felt like it was so in the sense where it was different than a zero to three. It was a totally different plane. Like I wasn't on earth
0: anymore. Is this a DMT experience you had? Correct. I would have to say that would be that way just based on how you described it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that could be a (laughs)
1: 3.672. I didn't try to control anything. I I mean, that's the other thing that was, you know, so I was just absorbing what was happening? I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, you know, do this thing. My mind wasn't, I wasn't thinking about controlling anything. I was just, just there. <laughs> so, anyway, um, but I thought that was funny how he's like, oh, am I OK? No, I shouldn't drive. Well, actually, yeah, I got to go out to the store. And that kind of moment of
0: like the sparkleness.
1: <laughs> that was funny. Um, so, yeah, interesting uh, thought about. The scale and interesting for therapy use as well. Um, if people are kind of trying to gauge if you're working with someone in that realm and trying to sort of gauge.
0: Yeah. Someone that's never really had underground psychedelics or black market psychedelics. It's just people that want it from their therapist or, uh, as it becomes legal, especially here in Oregon, it's already decriminalized, but as it becomes even more legal, they'll want a way to process it in order to gauge and, and really kind of have a foothold or have a hold on their experience so they can process it in the right way. So it doesn't get too out of control, even though sometimes those out of control experiences are where the magic happens.
1: Right. Or where it was supposed to go. I just, um, I don't think that his scale was intended for, Like it's a scale and it's loose. There's 3.5 and there's a 1.2 and it's just sort of a a gauge for yourself as you're exploring. But I I hope it does. I was just speaking with someone uh, the other day about this, that as things become used for therapy, whether they're mushrooms or MDMA or, or whatnot, that we don't lose sight of the spiritual aspect and the entheogen quality of that, that it's opening yourself up to the greater mystery, and that it doesn't all become compartmentalized. And well, you're number three, and so we're going to put you in this category. And then that's the insurance code number 12. And that, you know what I mean? Like, we, we got to be, I hope, mindful of that as we bring this into the therapeutic and legal realm.
0: Oh, definitely. And interesting synchronicity is that we listened to that first interview from 1996. And in 2021, Sasha Shulgin would have been 96. If he was still with us in his physical body, little synchronicity there. There you go. And I loved hearing the history of MDMA and this guy has contributed a lot. Holy cow. And like I said, he's a little undercover. It's just one more person I wanted you to know about. That's why we're doing this episode. I'm really glad you're here. Bryn. What did you think? Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was great. I just, one more thing. (laughs) listening to him talk about this, like you just took this molecule and you put it over here and you took that molecule. That he's was like, crazy. and he was like, and then he just did this. And well, then I thought, wow, if I just move that one carbon, then there's like hundreds of things I could do. And then he's kind of laughing. He's like, how's that really fun to make? And you're just thinking, of oh, this, he like, was
0: such an, it's like an
1: elf or something, you know, just like in there with all of these, like you can, it's, you gotta be the kind of person that can see beyond like, the table and the chair, like to be able to see that invisible world and yeah. its inner workings. It's pretty fascinating. Um, to
0: what kind and of a, rare wait minute, do you use to add atoms to molecules?
1: I think a lot of it is flasks and boiling water and different Just like old like, times, elements. Huh? It, it, like they called him. I mean, really that does all stem Just from like alchemy. Times. Paracelsus uh, might know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> While they're <laughs> alchemizing up in the next uh, phase of existence as we will all be one day but Bryn, thank you so much for being here yeah
1: thanks for having me that was awesome
0: I do want to tell people to go to Blue Cobra CBD one more time and get your free bottle of Blue Cobra CBD oil valued at thirty nine ninety five. Blue Cobra CBD at gmail.com and everyone we'll see you next week midnight on earth